the kingdom belongs to his sheep and your life is in the hands of a God who never sleeps fear not little lamb for the kingdom belongs to his sheep and your in the hands of a God who never sleeps. Hey, and welcome back to Tending Lambs. I'm Sam. I'm Katie. And I'm Abby. And today we are going to be talking about filling your gentle parenting toolbox. We often talk about what we don't do in gentle parenting, spankings, timeouts, etc. And we see all the time parents asking, how do we discipline our kids with punishments off the table? While gentle parenting is not merely replacing punitive punishments with less harsh ones, it is a completely different paradigm. It is really important to be practical and know how to implement this. If you can change your thinking in regards to kids, so much of this can become a natural chain of thought. What would be a logical way for my child to learn this lesson? But here are a few things that we love that can help you navigate this process. And a big thanks to Amanda Erickson for helping us with the research and compilation of this list. So the first one we want to share with you is do-overs. And do-overs are pretty much exactly what they sound like. They are a genuine opportunity um, to give your child the chance to do over uh, perhaps a unkind thing that they did, um, treating someone too harshly, things like that. And uh, one of the most important things with this is that our offer is genuine, that we don't turn a do-over into a threat, such as, would you like to try that again? <laughs> it really is an opportunity for them to do it over. And kind of the science behind this is neurons that fire together, wire together is a good way to remember it. That when your child actually acts out or redoes um, the desired behavior, the kindness, whatever, uh, it fires, it creates neural pathways in which they remember that for the next time. Um, another great tool to kind of pair with this one, if your child is having a hard time seeing uh, what was wrong with their behavior or their words um, is trying to help them see it objectively. And a lot of times, especially with young kids, this can be really effective through play. So I remember a great example of this is uh, Nurturing the Heart of a Child, a podcast that I just really love. One of the hosts, Krista uh, Macias, uh, mentions with her little toddler, uh, that she came downstairs and was kind of grumbling about the dinner that her mom made and saying, yeah, get all this kind of stuff. And the mom had actually, Krista, the mom had actually made the dinner, especially because she knew her daughter liked it. But in a moment of toddlerhood, she decided that she didn't like it. <laughs> so she uh, went upstairs with her and did a little puppet show where the mommy puppet, you know, made dinner and she was so excited that she had made a dinner that her daughter loved. And the daughter came downstairs and was all, ew, yuck, that's just and she said her daughter was wide-eyed and said that wasn't very nice you know so on and so forth and Krista said well honey that's exactly what you just did you know and it just helped her see it objectively so that was kind of a great tool to pair with a do-over she then went downstairs and had the opportunity to you know 
say, oh, I do like salmon. Thank you so much and things like that. So I don't know. Those are just some good tools to put together, helping your child see it objectively and then giving them the chance to redo it. Uh, the second thing on our list is a time in or a calm down space. And um, a lot of people will create a space specifically for time ins. And some people will choose to sit with their kids uh, in a time in and some don't. And oftentimes it's um, really situationally dependent uh, and whether or not your kid wants to be uh, with you or would like rather be alone. <clears throat> we had a situation in a, a school that I worked for with a little girl who struggled a lot with anger. And um, it was really, really cool to see how over the course of the year using a calm down space really helped her. So uh, at the beginning of the year, she was very prone to outbursts and would get so upset that she would throw things. It was a very um, explosive situation with this, this little girl. But instead of um, handling it punitively or very aggressively, um, I chose a closet that would that the um, the door would not lock to, so she always knew that she could get in and out whenever she needed to. And there was a pillow on the floor. There were some uh, things for her to distract herself with, like color um, coloring books, um, and not just distraction, but to soothe herself with. Um, which she actually rarely used. Most of the time she would just go into that room and um, just sit by herself for a little bit. And in the beginning of the year, I would have to mention it to her. I would say, um, you know, things are getting a little heated right now. Do you need to take some, some time to yourself? And she would stomp her way into this, <laughs> this closet but uh, toward the end of the year, it was such a cool thing to see right as she would start to get very angry. And I could see her starting to go cross over the line into where she used to uh, be unable to control herself. She would stop, close her mouth and stop talking to her friend and turn around and walk straight into that closet and sit there for a few minutes. And then she would come back out ready to be kind and ready to explain what she was frustrated over. And that was one of the coolest things um, in this whole journey for me to see. What a useful skill too. you know, even as an adult, it's really good to be self-aware enough to know when you need a minute to like cool off, you know? So I think that's yeah. an important skill to teach your kids as early as possible, really. Yeah. And, you know, there are other ways to do that too. So not just uh, like with each of these, you can have, you know, a multitude of ways to approach it. With her, all she really needed was uh, a chair or a, a big cushy pillow to go sit on to be alone. But some kids would like to have um, something a little bit more tactile. They might like a bag full of be dried beans so that they can kind of uh, engage you know, their senses and focus on something else. Um, you know, it's up to you and your, your kids how, uh, how you want to approach this, um, this calm down space. But it's one of, uh, ever since I had that interaction, those interactions with that, that uh, little girl, it's been one of the, the biggest uh, recommendations for me. Yeah, I've seen a lot of parents too with kids who are maybe nonverbal or just not very verbal yet, especially if they're very young 
have feeling charts with, um, you know, obviously if they can't read, you just do like an angry face or a happy face that your child can really kind of point to and show you how they're feeling when they mm. don't have the words to express it. I think that's a really great idea to maybe put on the wall in that space to, to help them process what they're feeling. Yeah, that is a good addition. Number three on our list is connect and redirect. When your child is upset, you would connect emotionally first. And this is connecting with the right brain, which is the emotional part. Then when they are calm and receptive, you would bring in the lesson or discipline, which is engaging their left brain. Um, Dr. Daniel Siegel refers to this as emotional flooding in his book, Whole Brain Child, which we highly recommend. Um, and basically it's when your fight or flight response kicks in when there's a perceived threat. And for little people, perceived threats can be, well, the triggers can be kind of surprising, but that's, you have to kind of get their, their brain back into their thinking brain. And when you engage emotionally first, when you empathize with them and show them that you're in it with them, it, I mean, it's very calming and you can start to work with them and calm them down to where, where they will be receptive. Yeah. I think oftentimes of how, when I'm really upset and I'm in a conversation or an argument or some kind of discussion with, um, with my husband that when he and his natural bent goes straight for trying to fix the thing, um, it often makes me feel so um, so unheard, and that's in the early earlier days. It was a little bit more <laughs> than it is now, but um, I think that's really common for everyone when someone uh, just starts talking at you with fixes. And I think we've all done that as well. You know, you can really um, start to get overwhelmed and feel like, wait, no, 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 I just want you to hear me. I just want you to know how upset I am by this. I don't, you know, we can fix it later, but I'm really upset right now. And you have to address that first before you can go on to the fix. Right. And this was, um, this was something that happened kind of a while ago before we were really like, okay, so we're gentle parents and this is our philosophy was that, um, our, our oldest is prone to having meltdowns when he's upset. Um, he's very expressive and he gets very overwhelmed very quickly. And there was just one time where instead of basically threatening him with a punishment for acting out, I just kind of, this is probably out of desperation for me too, but I just asked him if he needed a hug and I opened my arms and he just melted into me, which is something that had never happened before. Like him actually being able to calm down, um, without like a huge struggle first. And I was just like, wow. Like he just, he was so upset and he just needed comfort. He needed someone to be in it with him. Um, and how we explain it to him now that we've kind of been presented with some examples and things that other people do is he has his, um, he has a train in his brain and he has his thinking station and his feeling station. And so when he's starting to get worked up, we talk to him about his train going to his feeling station and, thinking about ways to get it back to his thinking station so that we can come up with a solution and so that he can be involved in that as well. And he thinks that's really funny. I think that's a great way to like have no judgment towards the feelings either. You know, it's so neutral. Like it's not a bad thing to have these feelings. It's just one of the two stations kind of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great idea. 
So number four is turning a no into two yeses, or also known as just giving them options. <laughs> so <laughs> the idea behind this is just to give them a little bit of control over their world. Oftentimes our kids have little or no control over what their days look like, over what their meals look like, over what time they go to bed or what they wear. And so, you know, cooperating with our kids and just trying to give them a little bit of freedom where we can is a great thing. Sam has mentioned helping with the meal planning in previous episodes, um, giving them outfits. But this specifically talks about when you do need to say no. Um, so a good example of this is your child needs to go to bed. Bedtime is not optional. They need their sleep. Um, so you let them know that they need, you need to get ready for bed now. And would you like to hop to bed or would you like to skip to bed? Would you like to brush your teeth first or get in jammies first? Uh, just things like that. Giving them a tiny bit of control over the situation can really diffuse or stop altogether a power struggle. Um, it just gives them that tiny bit of, I get to choose right now. Um, another example would be if you need to leave the park. That's often not optional. You have somewhere else you need to go. Would you like to leave now or in five minutes? Um, would you like to do the monkey bars one more time or slide down the slide one more time? Just little things like that can really, really help. Um, an important kind of disclaimer on this is obviously to never give options that you're not willing to follow through with. You only want to give options that they can actually really choose one of the two um, without any further discussion. Uh, yeah, so number five on our list is physical movement for brain regulation. And this one is really, really good. There is an awesome video that Amanda Erickson, who helped with the um, information in this episode, uh, that she has on her Facebook of her son doing hops and jumps and he counts. And it's just a really cool way to integrate what um, Dr. Siegel from The Whole Brain Child um, explains is integrating the upstairs and the downstairs brain and that's your upstairs brain is your thinking brain it's your uh when you're very present in a situation and you're very focused and your downstairs brain is your um, lizard brain so to speak the part of you that is run by instinct and that is uh as was explained a little earlier it's the part that is the uh flight fight or freeze kind of uh, reaction that's where it comes from and so uh, if they're in that zone if they're in their downstairs brain it can be really really difficult when they're everything in them is saying oh, I'm in danger you know they really feel like they're in actual danger or at least their their brain is telling them that they're in danger or something is really wrong uh, it's really helpful to engage both um, sections, I guess, of the brain by um, using physical activity. Yeah, I think even adults do this, you know, like a lot of people go for a run when they're feeling stressed out or boxing is a big thing, you know. Um, so even adults use this tactic all the time. And I think allowing your kid to do it, um, you know, race to the kitchen, punch a pillow, you know, like just get a little bit, get your body moving. It really, really helps. 
Another thing that was mentioned with some of the regulation is counting. And it reminded me of something that someone told me um, about anxiety, if, especially if it's getting really heightened, is that you you can count five things you can see, five things you hear, five things you can touch, um, just just all that counting. Or if you're having trouble falling asleep, counting your the lengths of your breaths and then back in and things like that. And so it was interesting to see that it had to do with brain regulation. Yeah, I've seen Amanda Erickson say before that when she's her little boys are struggling to integrate their upstairs brain, she'll actually count out of order on purpose, like one, two, five, seven. And her little boy, I think he's around four, almost can't help but correct her. And so oh, that's like, great. One, two, one, two, three, four. And as soon as he starts counting, what that counting does is it you have to use your upstairs brain to count. So it really just um, triggers your upstairs brain. I think that's such a great idea. That is a great idea. I did not, yeah. I had not heard that. Or asking, I, you know, your kid would have to be a little bit older, but, you know, asking them to help you measure something in the kitchen or just any kind of, kind of logical, um, non-primal <laughs> activity, sequence activities, things like that. Mm-hmm. Poet really likes to help wipe things down. I don't know what it is, but if you get the girl a wet rag, she will like, <laughs> would you like to help me wipe off the table or the fridge or whatever? And she just, it's so calming and she can really focus on it. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so number seven on our list is um, holding your child and saying something like, I won't let you for physical ag aggression. And uh, Janet Lansbury is just the queen of this, and I really appreciate uh, her take on this. Uh, since we would never let our kids hurt themselves or others or property in a very non-judgmental way, uh, you can hold their little bodies when they're in a really um, extreme episode and calmly explain, I won't let you hit or I won't let you uh, kick or whatever it is that they're trying to do. Um, because as we've explained, uh, in some of the other points here, um, when they're being controlled in the moment, f uh, by their instinct and by this, um, emotion, this overwhelming feeling of, uh, I, I, I can't control myself. I'm just, uh, I'm too overwhelmed. This is too much. Um, it's then too much to to try and tell them to just stop. You are the adult and you have the ability here and the strength to hold them and uh, help them calm down. And it's so important in those moments to be able to, to do that for them. It'll help them feel safe, which will help calm down that, uh, that fight, flight, or freeze mode um, while also protecting the other people and property around them. And themselves sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So number eight on our list is story recounting. And I also borrowed this from The Whole Brain Child. I learned a lot reading that book. Um, and basically what this tool in your toolbox is useful for is any kind of experience that your child has had that seems to be causing fear or anxiety um, of some type. And Basically, what you do is you just ask them gently, if they're willing to, um, recount the story of what happened and try to have them do it in sequential order. Again, that engages their upstairs brain. Um, and I think a lot of parents actually try to avoid 
these types of things, like don't talk about it, don't remind them. But the fact of the matter is that your child remembers. Um, so Dr. Siegel uses an example in his book of a little boy who had a negative experience one summer uh, with swimming. He may have just gone under for a few seconds. It was nothing life-threatening, but it really affected this little guy. Um, up until the next summer, he was still feeling a lot of anxiety about being in the water. And so frequently for several days in a row, the father, I think, would, would have him recount what happened, what happened in the water, and very gently just remind him, like, yeah, and, and we were there to get you, you know, um, and have him remember all those details uh, and realize that he can, he can face that fear. And again, just by recounting a story in its sequential order, you have to use your upstairs brain to do that. Your downstairs brain is not capable of storytelling. And so um, the idea is to help them work through this fear, work through this anxiety in a very kind and non-judgmental way. Um, but it really did help this little boy. He, he was able to get back in the water um, and use that upstairs engaged brain to realize that even if something does happen again, it was okay last time. I was okay. So um, I just think that's a great, great uh, solution. And uh, it also is a great thing to pair with number nine on our list, which is being a solution finder. And being a solution finder is inviting your children into the solution finding process. Um, it eliminates power struggle and it poses challenges you're facing as something you need to work together to find a solution for as a team. Um, all the stuff that we did prior to actually looking into gentle parenting was kind of on the fly. And this was just one of those times with our oldest where he was, he was upset and he was having a hard time and he eventually did calm down and we were talking about it. And I was like, well, is there, is there anything that we can help you with? Do you think when you're feeling that way to kind of let you know that we're all working together and that we understand. And he said a password. And so for a while, I can't even remember what it was, but for a while, anytime any of us, I mean, we did this cause we were being silly, but anytime the kids started feeling kind of upset or mad um, or just frustrated or confused, they would shout out this ridiculous word and it helped them to find humor in the situation. And it also helped us to recognize that there was something going on. Uh, and it kind of gave them a little bit of control in the situation, but it was just that came to my mind because our son actually helped us come up with that as a solution to like, okay, we're having these struggles. What is something that we can do? Oh, that's a great idea. Cause it's, it's also, it goes back to helping them engage both areas of the brain. It kind of immediately kicks into, uh, into their upstairs brain. But even more than that, it's so cool that he was able to come up with that and that he thought of that solution himself. And I'm sure that made him feel um, just more included and more connected to you and not, you know, just being given orders to calm down or to act a certain way, but really brought into the process of, okay, this is, this is a problem. How are we going to fix it together? Right. Yeah, it was, it was really helpful. Yeah, it really invites cooperation too. It kind of, um, you are the parent and you are in charge, but it really invites them into the process. And that's what I really like about it. Um, yeah. I, think, I think that helps kids feel like you're not against them. You really are working together to try and find a solution. 
Yeah. Especially as they start getting older yeah. and they start really wanting and craving that responsibility and the freedom that comes, um, comes along. Right. So the next number on our list here is role-playing, but instead of how in uh, our first example in a do-over, you uh, have them do over the same example or the same situation themselves, in role-playing, you'd switch roles. So you would take the place of your child and have them be the parent. And so this is another approach to helping them see objectively and from your point of view and it can also invite humor into the process. Yeah, I think that's a great way to help them see it from your point of view. You know, uh, they get to be the parent for five minutes. Um, so yeah, it invites kind of that playful energy into a otherwise maybe tense situation. But I think it really can kind of help them see maybe the conundrum that you're in as the parent or something like that. Um, yeah, so I, I really like that one as well. So uh, number 11 on our list is using make-believe to empathize. And I really love this one because um, children naturally use make-believe anyway. Um, and so I think it just kind of meets them where they're at anyway, developmentally. But um, the author, one of the authors of How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk, I think is the full title. Uh, her name's Joanna Faber. And she uh, provided an example of this that just has really stuck with me. And the example was uh, that, a th I think it was her three-year-old when he was when he was little, her children are grown now, but when he was little, they had to leave the park and he had found a coin at the park and put it in his pocket. And, um, you know, she got him in the car, buckled in his car seat to where he couldn't reach his pocket. And as soon as they pulled out, he started down the road to a meltdown and, started saying that he wanted his coin. He really wanted his coin out of his pocket and it was starting to escalate. And she kind of met him at his level and said, you know what I wish Jonah? And he said, what? And she said, I wish that I had a button on my dashboard that I could hit and coins would fall out of the sky all over the car. Do you wish that Jonah? He's like, yeah, I wish that mom. <laughs> She's like, but it wouldn't just be quarters either, Jonah, would it? It would be pennies and nickels and dimes. Yeah, we would have pennies and nickels and dimes. Jonah, what would you spend all these coins on? You know, and she just kept going. And I just thought, what a sweet, awesome way to empathize and just kind of distract them in a benevolent way. Like, I wish I could give you this coin. I'm not really trying to keep it from you. It's not realistic right now, but I wish I could give you all the coins in the world right now. You know, what would you spend that money on? Oh, you want a great scar? That's so cool. Um, so I don't know. I just really love that one. I think it's, I think it's just so sweet and such a cool way to connect with your child. I love that one too. And for our last point, um, our last tool to add to your gentle parenting toolbox, it would be something that we've covered in previous episodes, but we just wanted to touch on quickly because it is very important. It would be allowing natural consequences or imposing logical consequences. Yeah, and we'll link uh, some episodes in the show notes, uh, especially our last episode really covered that pretty well in detail. Um, so if you're unfamiliar with that, uh, we will provide plenty of resources on that topic. So we hope this has been really helpful for you. Um, we hope that uh, you don't feel ill-prepared to be a great gentle parent, and um, especially if you are transitioning out of another parenting philosophy, 
Um, I hope that this episode encourages you, um, that you do have options, you do have tools, and you feel confident going forward in your parenting. Thanks so much for listening to Tending Lambs. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please join our Facebook group, Tending Lambs Community Group. You can follow our Facebook page, facebook.com slash tendinglambs, and find the show notes page and lots of other gentle parenting resources at our website, tendinglambs.com. Until next time. and welcome back to Tending Lambs. I'm Sam. I'm Abby. What? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, (laughs) y'all. That's good. Good. I'm like, this has to end. Something's wrong. You know, there was Sorry. one time I accidentally introduced myself as Pam, and I literally have no idea why. <laughs> there was no one in the room named Pam. I just introduced <laughs> myself as Pam. <laughs> oh, that was really weird. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, all right. <sighs> Stop. <sighs> hey, welcome back to Tending Lambs. I'm Sam. I'm Cornet. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> no, you're not. He's not even here. <laughs> I'm getting hot. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right.